Well, welcome back to the podcast. So glad you are with us again. And I'm really enjoying these podcasts and the fact that we can offer you a diet of spiritual food, both from things that I've been preaching in our English service, but also perhaps even more intimate conversations that I've been having with the team of missionaries and evangelists and leaders that I mentor. Sometimes when issues come up in those conversations, it, it provokes something in my spirit to dig in a little bit deeper. And I find that there's a kind of a resource of information or a wealth of information there deep inside of me that I, uh, from experiences that I've had over the years or things that I've learned that then come out. And so anyhow, today I want to go back to one of those conversations that I've had on the Evangelist Academy. Talk about something that's really, really really important, I think, to get right in church, in your personal life. And that is the fact that there's a difference between being a preacher and being a coach. And certainly there's a difference in the messages. And so I want you to tune in here because if you mix those things up, you could go really wrong in life, both in terms of preachers aren't coaches, coaches aren't preachers. The message of the preacher is not the message of the coach. And God forbid that the message of the coach be in our pulpits. So listen in, and I look forward to seeing you at the end. Wonderful. I just thought today we could deal with a couple of issues just to try and sharpen your swords a little bit. And please use the chat box here if you want to ask a question or raise your hand. And, you know, if if you want to make a comment. Uh, one thing as an evangelist, I feel that we really need to emphasize is the fact that we need to focus on preaching Christ. And it's not that I'm against what coaches do. There's a place for coaches in life, let's say. My son plays football, one of my sons. He has a private coach because he's really good. And I know that having a private coach will help him to develop his skills, get a little bit faster, you know. And when you, when you become a, a professional in any area or a specialist in an, any area, a little bit makes a big difference. You know, so if you remember that really great movie, I don't know if you've seen it, Chariots of Fire. It's the story of the British Olympic team who are running uh, in the Olympics in 19, I can't remember, before the First World War. It's a wonderful story, but it focuses on two, two athletes running the 100-meter sprint. One is a Jewish guy, and the other guy is a Scottish guy. And the Scottish guy is faster, but the Jewish guy gets himself a coach. And the coach watches him run against the Scottish guy and lose. And the runner becomes depressed, but the coach comes to him and says, I'll get you three extra yards, meaning that training with me, I can increase your speed so you will you will arrive three yards or three meters in front of where you are right now three meters in a hundred isn't much but it's the difference between winning and losing i like to say that the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is a little word called extra so just by doing a little bit extra 
you get a massive, massively different result, a big difference. So there's a place for coaches, whether it's in sports or studying or developing whatever, whatever ability, whatever you that talent you have. And coaches will help you to focus your mind, to have clearer vision, to organize your day better, to have priorities, to recognize your talents, all these things. There's nothing wrong with that in themselves. But where do I have a problem? I have a problem that these teachings are now in the pulpit. And as you've heard me say in the past, really, there's two ways to progress in life. In your, there's in your own force or in the force of the Lord. Okay, in your own righteousness or in the righteousness of the Lord. You know, all of us want to have great lives and all of our church members want to have great lives. And when we preachers tell them that there is abundant life on offer, then that that gives them vision, that gives them hope. They begin to think, hey, I don't need to stay poor. I don't need to stay suffering. I don't need to stay sick. God wants me to have an abundant life. For many years now, the abundant life message has been preached. And that's great because if you study church history, you'll notice that for many, for many centuries, really, the focus of preaching was to prepare people for eternity. So everything was about salvation. Everything was about getting saved. Everything was about the kingdom to come. And there was very little preaching on life today here on earth in this fallen world, how you can be successful here. Very little preaching on things like how you can prosper more, how you can have better relationships, how you can have peace in your house how you can raise your children, how you can develop your leadership ability, how you can grow your church. All these things, really, all these kind of teachings which focus on the here and now have really only come into the body of Christ in the last 50 years or so. Again, if you study your church history, you'll know that things like the healing revival really only started, you know, less than a hundred years ago between the, you know, between the wars. There was the Pentecostal rival, the revival just before the First World War. And then out of that came the, the healing revival and then the charismatic revival with the gifts of the spirit. And really out of that came this emphasis on bettering one's life here on earth right now. And that's a wonderful thing because, you know, we need to preach the whole counsel of God. So yes, eternity is more important. Yes, spiritual issues are more important. But at the same time, you know, we live in the here and now on earth. And Jesus came in the form of the flesh and he healed people and provided for people and equipped people now. In other words, he's interested not just in the spirit, but also in the soul and in the body. He's not just interested in your eternity. He's interested in your life now. He wants to provide. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to be in good health. Remember the apostles' words in Third John, beloved, I would that you prosper and be in health in all things, even as your soul prospers. So there's the apostolic direction coming through the Apostle John. God's will is for us to be in health and prosper in all things. Again, you can read from Peter that God wants us, give us, um, but for us to prosper in all things, remember Ephesians 1 in chapter 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now, that, interestingly, the Portuguese version of that is kind of better because it says, 
with every type of blessing. And so why is there every type of blessing? Well, I'll tell you why, because there's every type of need. So God, in the package of salvation, has provided for all of our needs through his riches in glory. Hallelujah. And that's wonderful. The word salvation that we use so often, which is, of course, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That word salvation in Greek is soteria. And soteria doesn't just mean salvation from hell or salvation from your sins or salvation from the devil or even salvation from God, being saved from the wrath of God. That word there literally means being saved from your sicknesses, being saved from your poverty, being saved from oppressive spirits, being saved from every curse. It's a wonderful, broad and deep word. Jesus is the savior of all things. Hallelujah. You and I get that. We all get that. And, and we get that today, thank God, because we stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand in the freedom of the church fathers who have gone before us of a previous generation, you know, who have, who God raised up to teach the word and show us that there is an abundant life for today for those who believe. I mean, my own life was influenced a lot by people like E.W. Kenyon, uh, e. Kenyon, Kenneth Hagan, uh, Derek Prince, other guys like that who really taught the word and showed us that there was an abundant life available just believe. Just as you believed for the saving of your soul, also believe for the healing of your body, for the provision for your household, etc. I'm sure you're all going to say amen to that. I can see you nodding your head. Hallelujah. So that's the goal, okay? And that's part of our message. And even as evangelists, whilst we obviously are more concerned with people's eternity, because that lasts a lot longer than their life on earth. So our message has to always point to eternity and prioritize eternity. But at the same time, Jesus is the great evangelist. And he healed the sick and provided for the hungry. And often things like healing and deliverance I like to say our dinner bell for salvation of the soul. In other words, it's through goodness of God, a demonstration of the goodness of God in the here and now that leads people to repentance. So when people see the power of God, experience the touch of God, heal from their sicknesses, then they become open, so to speak, giving their hearts to God. You know, remember that Jesus healed the 10 lepers before they were saved. How do we know that? Well, because it was only one of them that came back to bow down and give their heart to the Lord. Jesus is so good that he went around doing good to all who were oppressed. It doesn't say there that he went around doing good just to a few select people. No, Acts chapter 10 tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the, of the devil. And so Jesus was this fountain of living water. Whoever touched him was healed. Wherever he went, he brought blessing. Did that mean that everybody got saved? No, not necessarily, but he still blessed them. And that's our role as evangelists. We're just called to be fountains of blessing, whether in word or in miracles or in practical deed. And through those blessings, people's hearts are conquered, they're touched, they're warmed. And, and so then they come to Christ. I think I 
spoke on this the last time we met. So often evangelists want people to change, want people to repent in order to be blessed. But God's logic is different to the natural mind. That's how grace is different to the law. The law says you must do this in order to get that. You must change in order to get blessed. But grace says, I'll bless you. And because of that, you'll change. You follow. So we are evangelists of grace. We're, we're, we're people who go around doing good, preaching good news and revealing the goodness and the grace of God. So, but the point is this, that Everybody wants to have this abundant life, and amen. But here's the problem, that whilst the preachers are right that there is an abundant life on offer here and now, and whilst we need to help people experience that, the problem is that a lot of preachers have mixed their messages. And instead of telling people that they access the abundant life by having faith in the grace of God, they've been telling people that they access the abundant life by doing lots of program, bettering themselves, following a seven-step plan, using wisdom keys, whatever other type of format that they put it in, it all points to self because that kind of training is all about you doing it. That kind of training is about you bettering yourself. That kind of training is all about you becoming perfect in order to get blessed by God. And you can see that that teaching, therefore, is not new covenant teaching. It's not the gospel. It's another gospel. It's anathema. And the Holy Spirit is grieved by it. And I'll tell you why. Because if what they say is true, then we don't need Jesus. Or let's think about it a bit deeper. Uh, we need Jesus maybe for our eternal salvation, but not for our life on earth. You see, anything that points to that, that takes Christ out of the equation, is a demonic doctrine. It's man at the center rather than Jesus at the center. And, you know, we have to be very careful as preachers because we are going to give account to God. Why? Because what we teach has a influence has an impact. And we could be guilty of being blind and leading blind people into the pit. And so we need to make sure that we're preaching the right thing and that we're showing the right way to the abundant life. It's a serious issue. And and so what do we preach then? Well, we preach Christ for all things. Like I said, you can be a coach wherever you want to be, but not in the pulpit, not in the pulpit. The pulpit's place is to announce Christ, every type of blessing. Hallelujah. The pulpit's place is literally to show the finished work of Christ, what he did and why he did it. And then to challenge people and to say to people, the way you access these blessings is by faith in his grace. Hallelujah. That's the message. Sometimes I think the pastors panic on Saturdays, wondering what to preach because they're kind of trying to make up some new doctrine. They're running around trying to get another seven-point sermon or five-point program. No, really, our job is to stand up and proclaim Christ, who he is, what he's done, how to access the blessings that are now available. You can preach that 52 Sundays a year and you'll never get tired. People will never tire of hearing it. And I can assure you this, that every time you open your mouth on that subject, God will give you deeper revelation, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it will become life, bread from heaven for people to consume. So I'm saying all this because I feel we need to really sharpen our swords in this area. We can't mix our messages. Number one, because we'll give account to God. But number two, we'll produce disciples that are frustrated with us. Because in the end, the person 
who trusts in their own strength. Remember Jeremiah 17. He becomes like a bush in the wilderness. He dries up. He becomes frustrated. And I see that a lot in the body of Christ because the preachers have promised the sky to them. They promised heaven on earth to them. But then they teach them that they have to access or they can access that by self development, by trusting in their own strength, or by doing some kind of trade with God. I'll do this if you do that. God, I'll fast if you do that. And they're, they're, basing, they're basing their Christian life on their own righteousness, trying to get blessed by God by what they do. And that will only lead to frustration. And I'll tell you why, because God will not answer that prayer. God will not honor that Christian because that Christian is ultimately rejecting Christ. They don't need Christ. They've taken Christ out of the center and put themselves in the center. And if you think about it, and excuse me for just talking, 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 but I just have to bang this drum. But what is the great demonic doctrine of the world? It's called humanism. What is humanism? Putting human or man at the center. You see, that's always been Satan's deception. Right from the beginning in the garden, of Eden. He told Adam and Eve, ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would be like God. In other words, that God was holding something back from them. He was a bad God. And so they just needed to eat this fruit and then they, they would be the gods of this world. And so that is the lie of the enemy in a different package today that you hear everywhere, everywhere, TV, internet, schools, you know how our universities and schools are completely dominated by this ideology. They don't hate God, but they hate Christ because Christ shows the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ shows that man is incapable in himself. That's what they hate. And they hate it because it's an affront to their ego. Lucifer hates it because he hates being number two. He only wants to be number one. And he put that poisonous thought into the hearts of Adam and Eve, and it's been in the sons of Adam ever since. And you and I were part of that. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were children of wrath. We believe the same thing. But God, who is rich in mercy, has set us free. He's removed the scales from our eyes. He's given us a new heart, the mind of Christ. And so now we see the deception. Now we see that Satan is the blinding God of this world. He dominates every era of society. That's all, how can I say, that's all just an observation of the world. You know, what the world does, in a sense, I'm not so concerned with what the world's teaching because the world will always be the world. We're not going to change that until kingdom come. We're not going to change it. But what I'm concerned about is what the church is teaching. Do you follow? Because the church is called to be the light of this world, to be the salt of this earth. And we as an evangelist, we're called to shine that light into the darkness. That's the whole point of the evangelist. We are invaders of darkness. We are confronters of the mentality of this world. If when if we're saying the same thing as, as this world, what's the point? What you know, why why are we calling people to repent if we're saying the same thing. doesn't make any sense. There's no logic in it. We're asking them to think differently. We're asking them to believe differently. We're asking them to redefine life, redefine themselves. The word repent, as you know well, means to rethink. If you speak any Latin language, you understand that. French, penser, to repenser, to rethink. But why would somebody have to rethink their life or repent? Well, because 
the way they've been thinking is wrong. So we come with a different way of seeing things. But if we're teaching the same as the coaches of this world, if we're teaching the same as the, the professors and the teachers of humanistic ideology, we're not teaching anything differently. And it's no wonder we've lost our cutting edge. And it's no wonder we haven't got a prophetic voice. Do you follow? Our message is completely different. Hallelujah. And let me say this as well. As I know a lot of you are in countries where, which are very religious, I'm not just talking to kind of postmodern Western nations where humanistic doctrines prevail. I'm also talking to you from India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. And in those places, you know, India has over a million gods. Wow. But, you know, there's one thing in common with all those gods. It's called religion. And what is religion? You do this in order to get that. You follow a religious system in order to appease or get blessed by a God. It doesn't matter which one. You can change the name, but it's the same system. Our message is completely different. It's not about us doing something to get something from God. It's God doing something to get something to us. God sending his son in his love in order to save us and to access all God's favor and blessing, not by what we do, but by what we believe. It's justification by faith, not by works. It's an opposing message. It's a refreshing message. It's good news for the bad person. It's a light yoke for the heavy burden. It's rest for the weary. It's comfort for the suffering. That's our message. But if we're preaching the same as every coach, what does a coach come along and say? You need to get your life together. You need to pull your socks up. You need to make more effort. You need to have a bigger vision. You need to be more disciplined. Then you'll get ahead. Then you'll be blessed. Then God will favor you. That's the same as what the world teaches. Are you hearing what I'm saying here? Our message is completely different. It's heavenly. It's higher. It's from higher thoughts. You remember Isaiah's point. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Okay, so these are high thoughts that have never entered into the mind of man before. Until Christ, grace was a, a hidden thing an obscure thing. The whole world was based on the law. Every religion and even the Jewish religion was based on the law. Grace and truth, the Gospel of John chapter 1 says, came with Jesus Christ. This revelation of grace, hallelujah. And of course, grace and truth are two sides of the same coin. The truth is grace and grace is truth. Hallelujah. And so we have a new message. It's not an old message. It came with Christ. It was released with power at Pentecost. And the world has yet to really hear this message. They've hold, held, excuse me, they've heard a religious message. And coming back to the point, guys, it may be that grace has been preached for the salvation of the soul by certain evangelists and preachers, but it hasn't really been preached for the abundance of life here on earth. And we have to get that right. Otherwise, as preachers, and those of you who are pastoring as well, you will, you will create a flock that is disappointed with you because you've told them to do all these things and they want access the life that you've promised and that will cause them to turn against you in the end they'll tire of it or they may prosper in one area 
and suffer in the other. And that's why I love what the book of Proverbs says in chapter 10, that the blessing of the Lord maketh us rich and addeth addeth with it no sorrow. Wow. So what's that kind of showing us? That the black, it's a contrast. It's saying the blessing of the Lord makes you rich and you're happy and healthy in the process. But the blessing of the world, you might get rich, but there's going to be a lot of sorrows that go with it. You might lose your health. You might lose your family. You might lose your children. Because what a coach will do is get you to focus on a certain area, but he's not God. And their doctor might get you a bit better at a certain area where that doesn't bless you with unmerited favor. That doesn't give you supernatural favor and strength. The blessing of the Lord is like an injection of medicine. And in that injection, there's blessing for every area of your life. So it's not just material prosperity. It's like every area gets elevated through the blessing of the Lord. That's a different story, my friends. Hallelujah. I'm launching here in Brazil as well. I'm in the middle of a series of teachings and lives at night called be elevated, be elevated. And I'm showing people that there is an elevated life to have, an elevated life. Ephesians chapter two says that we've been raised up with him and sit in heavenly places. Hallelujah. That's an elevated life. That's what the promise is. That's our legal position. But God also wants us to experience that. So how do we experience that? Well, is it through our own efforts? Is it because of our own righteousness? No. The elevated life comes through the grace of God. Hallelujah. I like the word elevated because it makes me think of an elevator. We say in British English, lift, but the Americans, I think, say it better. They say elevator. And the glory of the elevator is that you could be on the bottom floor, but all you have to do is get inside the elevator and it will take you to the top. You don't need to stress, strain, struggle. You just need to sit still, just need to relax, just stay inside. And the same with Christ. Our legal position is in the heavenly places. Our experiential position, okay, is based on whether we stay in Christ, stay in a place of rest. As soon as you get into your own strength, okay, you leave the elevator and you start walking upstairs. And walking upstairs is slow and tough. And that yet yeah, that's what most people try to do, most Christians too. They forget the elevator, which is Christ and his grace and his power and his righteousness, and they go back to trusting in their own strength. And because of that, they don't get very far in life. Legally they're up here, but experientially they're down here because they're walking by stairs. My advice to everyone, and you need to apply this into your own life, you know, rest in Christ. Let him do the work. When you rest, he works. When you work, he rests. That's the paradox. So you've got to rest in Christ. And when you rest, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to teach this in these coming days, but when I was in business in Hong Kong, the company I worked for had the, the highest building on the island of Hong Kong. This was before the Bank of China building was built, which is higher now, much higher. I think there was something like... 47 stories. I can't remember. But every year we would have a competition running up the stairs three times, I think, of that high rise in Hong Kong. And only the fittest guys could do it. And wow, it was really, really tough work. The person who who won got a prize and it was it was kind of amazing. But at the same time, we had an elevator in that building that went up more than 10 meters per second. 10 meters per second. That's running faster than 
Usain Bolt, or that's running at his speed, going upwards, zoom, wow. You could be at the top floor just in a few seconds. This thing shot right up. So here's the question. If you want to go high and want to go quickly, get in the elevator. If you want to stress, struggle, and strain, go up in your own force. And really, as ministers, guys, the choice is ours in terms of how high we go. You decide. If you want to have a big ministry, if you want to have a prosperous life, if you want to be a person of influence, it's your decision. Don't blame God. Don't sort of look and say, oh, well, God only had small things for me. No, don't blame God. Don't blame God. God's got big things. That's the, the truth of the Bible that you, you, you're in health and prosper in all things. The scripture says in John chapter five that the multitudes followed Christ because of the miracles he did. There are multitudes that are, are set to follow you. If you can just rest in him and let his power do the work, you'll find multitudes coming after you. And I'm talking about growing big churches. I'm talking about having influence on social media, whatever it is. Okay, you decide. But if you want to go the tough way, then go up the stairs. I recommend you get in the elevator, which is Christ, and let him lift you up. Amen. And I also recommend you teach that to your followers. Why did Abraham become great? Why does he have a great name? Not because he announced it himself. His sons announced his name. His sons told the story. You'll be as great as the people you influence. You understand me? If you can make great leaders, if you can make great disciples, if you can raise up great pastors, then that will give you a great ministry. Okay? Hallelujah. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that. Um, and as I said, I really hope it sharpened your sword so that you know the right message to share in the right place with the right people. Uh, look forward to seeing you again next week. I'm going to be back talking on a really terrific subject about how you can have a full-on life. So have a great week and I look forward to being with you again then. God bless you.